The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This week on the Mike Wise Show, I'm going all David Blaine on you, and I'm disappearing. But we still have a show. We're closing in on the NBA Finals, and there's a lot to discuss. So, Darlene, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Darlene, as usual, wonderful job. This week, we definitely have a wise-ass on the show, and he's filling in his host. He's the producer of The Mike Wise Show and many others from Pure Hoops Media. Bruce Bernstein, welcome. Mike, thank you so much. You know, filling in for a legend is always a challenge, and I'm so grateful that I'll never know the feeling. But hey, thanks for allowing me to fill your size 14 Converse All-Stars. In fact, how's that collection going? (laughs) It's uh, smelly and old, and no one wants to buy it as usual. Uh, Look, have a great time this week. You've got all kinds of stuff between Jamal Murray and Jokic giving LeBron a series, and your Celtics trying to stay alive. Who knows if they're already dead by the time this comes out. Either way, aloha, my friend. Thank you, Mike. I'm Bruce Bernstein, Chief Content Officer of Pure Hoops Media and the producer of your show, The Mike Wise Show. This week, we have a couple of very special guests to discuss what's going on the panel as we come off of uh, Miami advancing to the finals, beating Boston in Game 6. Dave Wall is... uh, Well, he's simply done it all in the NBA. He played seven seasons from 72 to 78. He's been an assistant coach, head coach of the New Jersey Nets, GM for the Clippers. He was the assistant GM in Boston when Danny Ainge put together the big three in 2007. Dave has two championships as an assistant for Pat Riley during Showtime and with the 08 Celtics as assistant GM. Welcome, Dave. Thanks, Bruce. Nice to be here. Appreciate you being here. And Aaron Berlin is co-host of Catch and Shoot 2.0, along with his partner, Otto Strong, here at Pure Hoops Media. Their show drops every Wednesday. Aaron is one of our bright young NBA hosts who happens to be based in the Orlando area, but was not in the bubble. Welcome, Aaron. Unfortunately, not in the bubble, about 20 miles away. But Bruce, always happy to join you. Always happy to talk a little C's with you, as well as the NBA, even though it was a tough night for your Celtics. Well, listen, you know, that's the way it goes sometimes. It kind of went as I thought after Boston got down 3-1. I didn't think they would go out in game five, but I really had my doubts about Sunday night. And that was proven to be the case. Miami comes away with a 125-113 win. Dave Wall, what did you see out there in game six? You know, it, it, it was one of those games where for most of the game, probably till Miami sort of blew it open in the uh, fourth quarter, you know, both teams really going at each other. End of the half, so two-point separation. End of the third quarter, two-point separation. I, I just thought, again, the zone had a big effect in the second half, especially down the stretch, middle of the fourth quarter on, where there's such a tendency to settle for those threes as soon as they come up rather than working it. And I thought earlier, 
they were picking rolling out of it. They were driving the ball a little more. They were doing some different things, which was enabling them to score, I thought, a little more efficiently. I thought once they, they started to panic a little bit, maybe panic's not the right word, but I thought they started to really just fire up the first three that came open with the zone. And I thought that allowed Miami to kind of open it up. Aaron, yeah. what did you see out there? Well, so, so the most interesting thing to me is w- when you watch this game in all four quarters, it really felt like the Celtics at some point in this game were just going to run away with it. I mean, that's how I felt towards the close of the third quarter, early on into the fourth. You know, you looked at defensively some of the things that Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart were doing. They were jumping passing lanes. They were aggressive. They were up on the basketball. And for whatever reason, it just seemed like the Heat were always there. They were never going away. You know, Tyler Hero would make a big shot. Bam Adebayo would have a big bucket or he would have a big defensive presence. And it it was so impressive to me because so much of the talk in this series at least has been, one, about the play that Tyler Hero has done. Two, about Jimmy Butler's reluctantness. And then, you know, the guy who we spoke about a few weeks ago, Dave, you and myself all talked about is Bam Adebayo's big block at the end of game one he kind of closed out this series in emphatic fashion. And so those three guys I thought really carried him away, but it just never really felt like until the end that they were going to pull this out. And I always thought that the Celtics had one more run, one more run. And it goes back to what Dave was saying, you know, they did such a good job at combating that zone early on in the third. And it just seemed like they went away from all their principles down the stretch in the fourth quarter of what kind of got them that two, four, and I think they led by as most as six in the fourth quarter. And it just seemed like they completely went away from all that. Yeah, I think the the stat, Bruce, we were talking earlier too, that um, came up was uh, that they missed something like 22 of their last 26 threes or something like that. I mean, when you're shooting that number of threes and they're not going in, the players on the floor should be sensing that, hey, we've got to get back to what was working earlier. And I just think they never kind of made that adjustment. And, you know, again, in BAM, um, I think you're starting to see there's almost an, an evolution of a big guy coming into our league again. And, and there's not many that do it. But if, if you look at the, uh, the Lakers series with Denver, you have Jokic and Anthony Davis. In this series, you have BAM. Um, those multi-talented big guys can go out and shoot a three, put it on the floor. They can pass. They can create value for their teammates in so many different ways other than just their own personal performance. And, um, you know, over the last couple of years, there's been this devaluation of big men. They're seen as very one-dimensional. And I think we're starting to see more and more that the bigs can really play an important part for their team and carry their team in a lot of ways because of their versatility in so many aspects of the game. I mean, Bam on Sunday night had had 32. He had 14 boards. He had five assists, only two turnovers in 39 minutes. And it seemed like he got every rebound in the fourth quarter and was in the middle of every good defensive sequence for Miami. And uh, what did they say? He's 23 years old. Okay. So, so I would say, you know, Miami uh, is in pretty good shape with their young guys, but I'll tell you what, the guy to me that was a difference maker on Sunday night was Andre Iguodala. I mean, because his performance pretty much came out of nowhere. I mean, I think they said he had something like eight points in the series before tonight. And I think he had 15, he didn't miss a shot. And uh, that's a guy that they got at the trade deadline from Memphis. He wanted out of there for just this game. 
you know, and sometimes that's the payoff for those things. You're not expecting him to really contribute during parts of the season. You want his playoff experience. You want his playoff stability. You want his playoff mentorship for some of the young guys, especially as things uh, sometimes get into adverse conditions. And then you hope you get the, one of the games like he gave you tonight. And, you know, he's, he's sitting there, one of the probably the happiest people in, in down in Orlando tonight. Yeah, well, you know, with his championship uh, pedigree, now he uh, he gets to face LeBron James again in the finals. We'll see how it goes uh, how it goes this time. I don't know if LeBron's going to chase him down again, but uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Dave, how important are players like that when a team is trying to make a championship run? Just to have someone who's been there, who's been through the grind of a playoffs like Andre has, but more importantly, you know, Bruce alluded to it. You know, Bam's twenty three, Tyler Hero is. I think 21 years old, you know, Jimmy Butler is an experienced player, but he's never been in the finals. Just how important is a player like that? Um, I think it's really important, Aaron, because the finals are a big unknown. Like you just talked about, most guys don't ever get there in their career. A lot of the guys in this um, series haven't been there. And you, you really, as you move into each new series, as you're going towards the finals, the pressure becomes bigger, the media exposure becomes bigger, mistakes get more amplified, not only by the media, but even the announcers. You know, you feel like you let your team down. And to have a guy who's been through all this and has made mistakes, who, is, who has uh, made big shots, to have a guy be able to come over, put his arm around you or pump you up or, or you're starting to hang your head and he just you know, grabs you and says, hey, wake up, let's get back in it. He's been through the need for that mental toughness. And I think those guys can be very invaluable. Well, certainly uh, with, with the kind of veteran leadership that they're going to get out of a couple of those guys, because really so many of the younger guys they've depended on. I mean, Duncan Robinson, did anyone know Duncan Robinson's name outside of really hardcore NBA fans, you know, a month ago? I mean, uh, <laughs> not too many. Yeah, and those guys, you know, this is their moment. They have a chance now. All of a sudden, you know, they need his three-point shooting. Um, you know, he, he was one of those guys where they've got to count on him for something. If he goes 0 for 9 in the game, odds are they're going to struggle to win that game. So the test for those guys is how they step up in these moments where it's really as much about mental toughness uh, as physical toughness. And I think when you, after you go through one of these, um, you're better for it. Even if you didn't play well, you're better for having gone through it because the next time, if you get a chance, you're going to know how to deal with it better. Absolutely. I'm curious, guys, and Bruce, I'll ask you this to start, but does this change your perception of the Celtics timeline at all? I mean, two years ago, the Celtics, Brown, Tatum, um, you know, when they had gotten Hayward before he was injured, they were really the darlings of the Eastern Conference. And I think a lot of people expected them just to extend to a finals appearance. And now you watch them through six games against this Heat team. And while this Heat team does have Jimmy Butler, you know, two guys who really showed a lot in this series are young players. And it almost feels like these are kind of, you know, the Sixers may or may not eventually get there, depending if they ever live up to their expectations but it just feels like these two teams are going to have big bouts for years to come in the Eastern conference. And I'm just kind of curious if you guys see kind of like maybe a power shift of maybe the Celtics no longer being just the darlings of, 
a young squad, but maybe now the Heat's starting to take some of that. Well, I think, you know, where, where does Boston go from here is really kind of the question there because they have seemed to have sort of plateaued at conference finals and not really able to take that next step. It is still a young team. Uh, I'm going to be curious as to whether Brad Stevens gets a whole lot of second guessing about some of the strategy he's, you know, had in the, in this series, because I think by most accounts and Dave, you can speak to this better than anybody. It seemed that Eric Spolstra was always kind of a half step ahead uh, as opposed to Brad, and particularly when it came to, you know, timeouts to stop momentum or just when to go into that zone. So, and, and, and I think most Boston fans, including myself, do like Brad, respect Brad. He certainly has a competence of ownership. But uh, how, what can he do, Dave? Well, I think any coach, once you lose in the playoffs, you're probably your toughest critic. Uh, you go back and you try and figure out what could I have done to help my team uh, in this game? Was it, was it a strategy component? Was it a substitution component? Uh, is this a team that's just better than us? We put up a good battle and we're not quite good enough and we need to upgrade in some area. Um, do we need to upgrade our bench? You know, they, don't, they didn't get a lot all the time from their bench. Um, one of the things we've discussed is with the big men, and this isn't to disparage Daniel Tice at all, but if you had just switched big men with this series, if you had put Bam in a Celtic uniform and you'd put Daniel Tice as the starter in a Miami uniform, I think the series would have been over in maybe five games or four games with Boston with Adebayo moving on. And sometimes that's the difference, that one position. Uh, Daniel Tice is probably a great backup at a very high level once you get to these levels, but I don't know that he's the starter that can carry them. Bam carried them, uh, Miami tonight. You know, AD is helping carry the Lakers. Jokic is helping, he's the top two guys carrying Denver this far. So when you look at these pieces, Danny and Brad are gonna have to sit down and say, look, we've got a lot of talented players, but do we need to move somebody and add something else that takes us a little further. It would be nice if they were able to develop Taco Fall, who isn't going to be a superstar player in this league, but could be, uh, you know, Boston sometimes has a tendency to, to, to well, well, for instance, Bam pretty much dominated the paint for those guys in this series. And with Boston's really lack of height at the five spot, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he can be a useful guy at some point, but, uh, their, their problems, I think, you know, they're pretty much covered on the other four positions, but that, that seems like a weak spot for them. Yeah, and I think they have decisions like, okay, where does, where does uh, Hayward really fit when he comes back? Is he the starter? Then who goes to the bench again? You know, I, I think beyond those six guys, who's, who's our guys that are going to fill out the rest of our bench that we can count on every night, whether it's more shooting, more defense, more rebounding, more size and versatility at the defensive end. So, you know, Danny, Danny's very thorough after the season. You know, he'll sit down with Brad, and I'm sure they'll, they'll take a fine tooth comb to this team because you can't keep just getting to the, you know, the, the conference finals and not make changes because at some point you've got to do something that gets you to that next run. Or I think players stop believing. They stop believing that they have a chance to get there. Dave, did you feel like uh, Cantor was, un Ennis Cantor was underutilized in this series, or did you feel that he was used kind of appropriately because of his lack of defense? 
you know, it's hard when you're, when you're not there every day to see what you can really get with him. You know, he came in the one game, played very well for maybe 10 minutes or 12 minutes, gave him some nice offense and a couple boards because offense is really his calling card. You know, you give it to him on the box or off the box and, and he's a handful. Um, one of the earlier games, I think he was 0 for 4, didn't really give him much. So it, to me, he was kind of Brad's wild card and probably can look back at this game and say, hey, could, you know, Brad might say, could I have used him for eight or nine minutes at some stretch, maybe just to go into him, force a one-on-one -on -one matchup, or they're going to try and double him rather than just me having my team, you know, shoot long threes sometimes. So I think Brad's going to be the one that's going to have to figure out how could I have used him maybe better? Because I thought of him more as a wild card. Aaron, any last words on Boston before we, uh, we get on the plane and head west? You, you know, the biggest thing is so, so often when series ends, and we did this the other night when the Nuggets lost, right? Like you overanalyze everything that happens and you say that if this team would have won this basketball game or if they would have pushed this to a game seven, how does that change the perception? Well, the, the biggest thing that I take away from is the thing that we've been talking about. Them not having Al Horford this year in this series was a big detriment to them. If they have Horford in this series this year, I, I think this is probably a different conversation. But also, these are completely different circumstances than what we've ever seen the NBA playoffs go through. And I do think that if Tyler Hero has to play three games in the Garden, if Jimmy Butler has to play three or four games in the garden, that changes this entire series, but a neutral court inside a bubble setting with everything that the, these guys have been on or gone through. Sometimes teams just get on a roll and they ride that all the way out. Not having the travel aspect of it, I think changed this drastically. And so it's, it's really tough for me to sit here and overanalyze the things that happened to the Celtics team in this series. They know the parts where they got to get better. They know the parts where they struggled. I also think them not having their roster completely healthy for long periods of time played a huge detriment to them. At the 9.04 mark of the fourth quarter, Boston was ahead 96-90 after Jalen Brown picked Hero and went in for the score. Over the next six minutes and 24 seconds, Miami went on a 26-6 run. Uh, and with 2.40 left in the game, they were up by 10, and that was pretty much it. So uh, congratulations to the Miami Heat. We're going to talk a little bit more about them moving forward in a minute. But Dave, out west, three straight 4-1 to one series victories for the Los Angeles Lakers, my preseason pick to win the NBA championship. Uh, does anybody grab a game by the throat like LeBron James? Oh, I, I thought the other night, um, you know, he just took over the game. He really did. And it was almost like a man among boys. Um, driving to the basket, there was no one that could stop him. He just went in whatever direction he wanted to go. You know, defensively, you know, he took on the challenges. Uh, he was getting a great sidekick performance from AD at the same time. And uh, the one thing that surprised, shouldn't, I shouldn't say surprised me, but I think has really helped LA. My concern with them was how their bench and secondary guys were going to play. If let's say LeBron or AD, one of them was just having an okay game. But um, Contavious Pope is shooting 44% from threes and seems to be almost knocking down every three he takes. You know, Danny Green, we've seen in finals before. Um, you know, Rondo is, is playoff Rondo in a lot of ways. So a lot of the guys 
who um, you know were on their bench and Caruso's contributed at times too have stepped up with their performances and they look really really good because they beat they beat a very very good Denver team. And so, you're a general manager. Uh, have you know recently been a general manager? How do you feel that Lakers team is is that is that team set up? to do well against Miami or do you see Miami just getting down in the mud with them again and making them play their pace in their game? You know, I, I think the interesting thing will be what, a, what does Eric Spolster want to do? Is he going to try and play some zone and see if Miami can keep shooting the ball as well as they can? Or does LeBron just tear the zone apart, you know, with one-on-one -on -one drives and either score or create? Um, but I do think right now, if I had to look at these two, I, I, you, can never, you can never write off Miami because their whole culture is about just resilience and, and being the underdog and, uh, you know, undervalue us and we're going to be there at the end. But right now, if AD and LeBron can keep playing the way they're playing and they can make some outside shots, uh, I think it's going to be tough for Miami. Aaron? I'm just really excited to see that battle at the center position between Anthony Davis and Bam Adebayo. You know, we, we've talked a lot about Bam on this show and most notably because you didn't really feel like he had a straight counterpart that could hold him accountable in that series against the Celtics. Well, this is going to change drastically against Anthony Davis, but you know, it, it goes to show what you guys just said about LeBron too, you know, but what is this year 17 for him? He's now been in this bubble since July it's five games a series. I mean, how many extra seasons of just wear and tear on his legs of playoff basketball by this point too. And he just refuses to slow down and you just never feel like, you know, the, the funny thing is, and this is just a side tangent, you know, the, the other night on our show, catch and shoot with Otto and I, he and I were talking about how after that game on, what was it? Tuesday night, it almost felt like with the way Anthony Davis was playing that LeBron had almost kind of recognize that at some point that torch is going to be passed between the two of them. And that because AD had taken some big shots in these playoffs that he was kind of recognizing that maybe he needed to defer to him a little bit more. And then what's he go out and do last night in a series to close or in a game to close out a series, he posts 38 points and he just dominates the entire basketball game. And it's like, so you almost have like these fleeting thoughts of, you know, at some point LeBron recognizes that, you know, he's going to have to be maybe a one a on a team, but not this year, maybe not early next year, you know, and at what point does that become? And at what point have we ever seen a basketball player just hold on to his, his athleticism, his strength, his basketball IQ. And it just seems like not that he's getting better, but he's getting just so much smarter each and every year. It's almost like he, he's hit a plateau, an elite plateau, but there's no decline. It doesn't seem to be on the top of the mountain where it's going down. He's just on this plateau going yeah. at this very elite level. And you keep waiting for him to sort of, okay, he's starting downhill because we've seen it happen to everybody. And he seems to be defying it longer than, than anybody. Because I actually thought he looked stronger, faster, and, and in better condition than everybody the last couple games of the Denver series. It's like, you know, he said, okay, I guess now I got to really play harder. And he found another level that nobody else on the court found. So, uh, you know, it, it's just been a phenomenal performance by him. And, and I think, you know, he sees AD, like Aaron said, stepping up his game to, to that type of level. And I think that 
just inspires confidence throughout their whole team. So I think they feel very confident that they can go win a title. And Miami's certainly not going to get out of their way. They're going to make them, you know, earn it. Dave, does, earlier, uh, oh, go ahead, Aaron. Oh, I was just going to say, Dave, does it play any factor, you know, that LeBron and Spolstra spent all those years together in Miami? Now, when you're Spolstra and you're trying to game plan against a player that you knew so well, is there any kind of advantage for a coach in that situation? Or is it just that dude's so talented that regardless of what you throw at him, he's going to figure it out? Yeah, I don't know if there is at this case because they've been apart for a number of years now. I think I think Eric certainly knows his strengths and weaknesses as well as as well as anyone, and he'll certainly try and game plan around those things. But I think at this point, he also knows there's a there's a player over on the other side that's so talented that he he can't be the sole focus because if he is, you know, okay, we hold LeBron to 25, but the rest of their team gets a lot of open shots and layups, and AD gets 30. So. Um, I think, you know, looking at try how you play LeBron, he's seen every possible defense except maybe a whole lot of zone. Um, so it'll be interesting if, if Eric looks at their zone and figures out, is there a way I can kind of change my zone a little, do some tweaks. Maybe it's not the 2-3, maybe it's a 1-2-2 two, two or a 3-2, or do I just give LeBron outside shots? You know, that one, that one series with San Antonio, Pop really just let LeBron have as many jumpers as he wanted, but no drives. You know, does Eric look at something like that? Because you can live with him making some threes. You can live with him probably making some jumpers. It's when he starts going to the rim and getting and ones or now the drawn kicks that he becomes even more dangerous. So it'll be interesting to see what the Miami coaching staff decides to do going into this series. Earlier on Sunday, as I was sort of, you know, messing around, looking at some numbers and whatever, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who you were a coach of along the way, Dave Wool, uh, played 20 NBA seasons, and his combined points for regular season and playoffs were uh, a little bit north of 44,000, okay? LeBron James in season 17, which will have somewhere between four and seven games to go in it, uh, as at a combined total of over 41,000. And I think when you start to look at those numbers, in addition to what he's done as far as now 10 times in the NBA Finals, I don't really want to have the debate MJ versus LeBron because that's a debate that cannot ever really be solved. But my thought, whenever I look at LeBron James, and I've probably felt this way for about 10 years, if Dr. James Naismith in his laboratory had said, I'm going to create the ideal basketball player, I believe that player would come out looking a whole lot like LeBron James, Dave Wall. What do you think? Well, you just, first of all, you take the, the, the size. You know, he's 6'8", six, 6'8", eight, six, eight plus. He's 260 probably or somewhere in there. I don't know what the exact pound is. He runs like a deer. So that overwhelms probably 90% of the people that have to try and defend him. The other 10% maybe are as tall, maybe they're as fast, but don't have all three of those things together. Then you factor in the basketball IQ. And so that just, it's what they call the force multiplier. You know, so I think when you look at him, he's just such a, just like MJ or Magic or some of the other really elite players, Bird, you know, all the parts just fit and they fit and they make a player who just sees the game differently and can take over a game 
whenever he really needs to for the most part. And, and that's what you're seeing in LeBron. And what people don't really understand sometimes is you can have as many years as a guy. You can take two guys who play 15 years in the league, but one guy's in the finals eight or 10 times. The extra miles, it's not just the minutes, but those minutes every year against the best teams, the best players. And you're going for two, two and a half months now in a concentrated schedule against the best teams and best players. So it's just that added wear and tear on your body. And I think one of the things that has helped LeBron is I think he's a little bit like Kobe. He, he really takes care of himself. He, what he eats, how he sleeps, how he trains. The, the guys that want to last in this league at that high level really pay attention now and use all the technology and advancements that there are to really fine tune their body so it can last and produce at that high level for as long as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think, go ahead, Aaron. Oh, I was just gonna say, you know, for the longest time, people hated the idea of load management or stars sitting out to rest their bodies. And LeBron was really kind of the catalyst behind that idea that if I take five to seven games off towards the end of the season, or if I take 15 games off in the regular season to preserve my body, to make sure that even in my mid to late thirties, that I can still go at 100% in the playoffs, then that's going to benefit my team down the road. And, you know, the argument for the longest time was, well, fancy to see these guys. Well, how deprived were we last year during the playoffs, not having LeBron in them? You know, like it just makes such a difference getting to watch a player of his level of his ability and of his mind, just take over series the way that he's able to. And, you know, it all goes back to what Dave just said. You take care of your body, right. You take care of your mind, right. And you can do a lot of special things in this league. And LeBron has done it for years. And, you know, it's, it's not just his God given abilities. It's everything that he worked on. You know, when he came into this league, he was not a fantastic shooter but he made sure that he worked on it. He got better at it. And, you know, like the passing's always been there, but it's gotten better each year. And that's how he picks teams apart. And that's how he just, for lack of a better word, demoralizes people late in these series. And he's just crushing every single one. You know, there's, there's two sides to that coin too, because the league, the NBA really cares that the fans get to see all the talent in the league. They don't like a player really sitting out or resting a game. The teams themselves don't care about that. They're not worried about the fans not seeing their players. Um, and it's not because they're mean or, or something like that. They're doing everything they can to maximize their performance for that year with their roster. So there's this, this like conflict and the league has now set up some rules. You know, it's uh, you can't sit out the national TV game to rest or, or there's a number of other rules. I don't have them in front of me. So they found kind of a compromise and, and each team now knows they can set up their schedule to give those guys rest or whatever. And they can look at the schedule right from the beginning of the year and almost figure out what days we might want to give a guy off. They'll, they can even bring in their analytics department that can actually tell you, well, look, we're going we're gonna to play three games in five nights here or six nights here. Um, we're on the road. Um, the odds are 32% that we'll lose game four of our road trip because of who we're playing and the travel. And so there's so much more information they can use to decide which are the smart games to sit a guy out, but enable us to still try and win as many games as we can. And we saw it with Toronto, even with Kawhi last year. 
you know, in, in Toronto when they won the title. They, you know, he wasn't going to play 35 minutes a game for 82 games. That wasn't their goal. It was get him ready for the playoffs. Six years ago, uh, when uh, LeBron finished his four-year run in Miami with four trips to the finals and two NBA championships, he decided he was going home to Cleveland. And it wasn't the happiest of breakups. Pat Riley was very upset and said so publicly. So now they meet again, Dave Wall, in the finals. Um, how juicy is that storyline? Maybe they'll have them both come out, shake at midcourt to start the finals or something, you know? Look, in life, there's disappointments. You know, um, I know Pat was disappointed then when, when LeBron left, and I think a lot of people were disappointed in the manner it was done, and I think LeBron um, has even said if he had to do it again, he would do it in a different way. Um, but they got two championships out of it. And, uh, you know, sometimes you say, okay, if, if I couldn't have had him at all or I can get two championships out of him and then he goes, I'll take the two championships. And because that says something to the rest of the guys on your team, to your culture, to everything else. Um, I, I don't think those two, they're, they're both mature people. They're, they're going to hold this grudge, you know, any further. They're going to enjoy this competition because Pat's a competitor. LeBron's a competitor. Uh, they'll have some bragging rights, whoever ends up winning. So um, I don't foresee any bad feelings between the two of them. How about between LeBron and Eric Spolstra? I mean, it's no real secret that Spo was not a, or that uh, LeBron was not a big fan of Spo early on in Miami, but Pat stood by Spo and said, he is the coach. And that was it. I think LeBron was used to having his way um, in a lot of areas. And then he came to Miami. And as I mentioned, Miami culture is different. It's not for everybody. And the way Pat was at the top of the, the executive um, office, you know, it was going to be up to Pat. And, and Pat's going to say, no, this is how we do things. You're, you're with the Miami Heat now. You're not with another franchise. And I think in the beginning, it was hard for LeBron in some ways. You know, like everything he said, people didn't rush around to like, you know, do it. Um, but I think he also learned things there. And again, I think his, his basketball IQ and his knowledge and his, his level allows him to, to kind of um, test every coach he gets. You know, but I think Spo is one of those guys, and I've known him a long time. Um, Spo is one of those guys that he's going to do what he thinks is right for the team. And Pat, he had a benefactor and uh, the guy who hired him who feels the same way. I, I think if you really got LeBron in a moment where you sat, he would tell you he learned things in Miami. Aaron, any thoughts on uh, Spo and Riles versus LeBron in the finals? I, I think it's just going to be a lot of fun. I, I think it makes for great TV fodder. I don't know how much it'll actually have in-game besides maybe some X's and O's and things that Spo is able to draw up. But to just reiterate what, what Dave said, you know, it seems like every step of the way, except for his stint in Miami, LeBron had the ability to – either kind of construct the roster around him, pick his coach, pick the structure around him. And he didn't get to do that in Miami. And you look at those four seasons in Miami and the players that they were able to put around him and the success that they had and the other franchises that he's been with and the other teams that he's been with have never been set up for long-term success like that Miami team was. And part of that is because if you don't have structure and you're allowed to kind of dictate, and I'm not saying – 
LeBron dictates the decisions at all. But if you have a lot of say in the way your roster is constructed around you, I'd say it ends up being a lot like how coaches tend to construct rosters, right? With the win now mindset and how it happens in almost immediate and not long-term thinking. So that's just my thoughts on it. So Dave, uh, Bam Adebayo is not going against Daniel Tice in the finals. He's going against basically three bigs. He's going against Anthony Davis. He's going against Dwight Howard. He's going against JaVale McGee. Are those three going to use 18 fouls and wear the kid down? What, what's your evaluation of how Bam's going to fare against the Lakers bigs? Well, I think, you know, they have obviously um, the three bigs to go at them and their foul trouble is always a concern. But I, I think this is a different kind of big than Jokic even. Um, you know, this is a guy who's athletic, who's quick, um, not as um, finely tuned as Jokic is in, in some areas yet, but he's also a terrific passer, great rebounder. So I think they have their work cut out for him too, because if AD's matched up against them at times, you know, there's a, there's a chance for Bam to go at AD, maybe get AD in foul trouble. Um, you know, Howard's going to try and be physical with him. Bam's not going to shirk away from that. And same with McGee a little bit. So that's one of the, the matchups I'm looking forward to, to watching to see how he deals with, you know, the experience of their, or their big men. Who do you see primarily guarding LeBron? Um, everybody. <laughs> I don't know that you're going to be able to just put, um, you know, one, one person, you, you look at them and you, you look at their starters and you, you know, Jimmy Butler's going to play them, but you don't want Jimmy to get in foul trouble right away. You know, um, Iguodala may see some time on him because he's had some experience, obviously, you know, Duncan Robinson, I don't think they're going to play Duncan on him for very long. Crawford, I mean, uh, Jay Crowder. Crowder is probably the guy who gets the starting nod and, and depending on how he fares. But I think they'll mix up zones. I think they're going to try and keep LeBron off balance because if you do the same thing all the time, I think he figures it out pretty quick. So I think you're going to see a bunch of guys and they'll mix in the zone with it to take some pressure off having to play a guy all the time on him to avoid some foul situations. There's always going to be uh, the role players that are going to have major roles. And I find two of the crafty 34-year-old guards, one on each team, to be very interesting to watch in the finals. You have Goran Dragic, who's been sensational in the postseason for Miami, always seems to find a way to settle things down. And even when he looks like he's about to go off the rails, he kind of gets himself right and gets under control. And as you mentioned earlier in this conversation, Rajon playoff Rondo, both of those guys 34, um, do you see them playing a, a significant role? Uh, well, let's put this. Which of the two do you see playing a more significant role, Dave? Well, I think because Dragic starts, you know, he's got a chance to obviously contribute probably more. Um, you know, he's one of those guys that if you don't pay attention to him and you don't really work against him, he can put 25 points on the board. He can make some threes. He can get to the foul line a little bit. Um, you can't, you know, underestimate his, his ability to um, be a, an impact player in a game. Uh, Rondo, you know, coming off the bench, I, I think the, the surprising thing for me with Rondo, because I was in Boston his rookie year, is he never wanted to shoot the ball, ever. I mean, other than a layup, if he had a – the only shots he took was at the very end when the clock was winding down – and they used to urge him to work on his shooting, become a shooter, and he would pass up open shots. I mean, people would go under screens at the foul line 
for him, daring him to shoot. And now, you know, he's taking a couple three-pointers a game, but I think he's shooting like 47 or 48 percent from the three in, in the playoffs lately. But he's just such a smart player. He's a smart passer. You know, he can carve up little pick and roll situations. So I see, I see them being able to use him at times when the offense may be getting a little stagnant. Uh, they want to get a little more uh, movement in the offense. They want to create some more problems for the defense. That's where I think I can see him stepping into a game and, and, and you know, the minutes he's going to play having a positive impact. Aaron? Well, the thing about Dragic is he can pester you so much on the defensive end. And kind of like Dave said, that when he gets going and he's allowed to control the tempo of a basketball game, he can really push the pace and make you feel uncomfortable. You know, I I watched him for years after that trade from Phoenix just tear apart the magic because the thing that he would do is he would set the tempo the way that he wanted to run. And everybody else just kind of gets behind him and goes. And, you know, so if he – is as tenacious defensively as we've seen him at times in these playoffs. And you look at what he's done over the course of his last 10 games, 15 points, 32% from three, 40% from the field. But his biggest impact as a game is when he has the ball in his hands and he can push the pace. And if he can get you uncomfortable and he can get you out in transition, then how many easy runouts did the Heat have in that series against the Celtics because of things that he did? All right, guys. Well, look, I've, I've been keeping you up late on a Sunday night. We're almost done here. I just want to hear from both of you, and I'll chime in as well. So we have Miami against the Lakers. Lakers with the home court advantage. So uh, <laughs> games, games one, two, one and two uh, in, with, with the uh, Lakers graphics in the background, so to speak. How do you see this one playing out, Dave? You know, um... I think that the Lakers end up winning this one, but I think it goes at least, you know, six games, five, six games. Um, I, I, I think it's going to be something where, you know, Miami's going to battle to the end because that's who they are. I just think if LeBron and AD are playing at the level they're playing at right now, I just think it's a little too much for um, Miami to overcome, especially if the Laker, you know, the, the, the bench guys and, and the other starters are doing their roles competently. They don't even have to be stars. They just have to do what they normally do on a normal game night because LeBron and AD are at such a high level. Aaron, before I get your prediction, so is there an X factor, one player on either team that's kind of under the radar, Dave, that you expect to have a significant say in how this thing plays out? Um, yeah, I guess I, I guess I would take two players. I, I would take if Pope doesn't shoot well, Contavious Pope isn't shooting the threes like he's been shooting. He's missing a lot of those. I think that could have a negative effect on the Lakers. Rondo could have a positive effect. He could play a big part in this series. And, and probably on, on Miami's end, it's almost got to be hero. I mean, the kid is either throwing everything in from every angle or he struggles a little bit. And so if he has one of his 35 point nights or 37 point nights, you know, they could pull out a win if everybody else is just playing up to their normal level. So those would probably be the three guys that I think might have a, a, a factor, might be a factor. Aaron, I saw you nodding there. Uh, your X factor and your prediction. 
I, I just hate the fact that I'm going to agree with everything that Dave just said. I wish I could throw out something. Different. Why do you hate that? He's a well, smart guy. Exactly. Well, because just, just for, uh, you know, the, the fun and games of it, you know, sometimes it's nice to have like combating ideas, but the X factor for the heat has to be Tyler hero. I mean, how many times tonight, did he take the basketball and he just say to Marcus Smart, I'm going to beat you one-on-one. And he did that a few different times. And he was also open in the corner and you leave that guy a step or two and he's going to hit a corner three on you. And that was the most impressive thing that you have this rookie basketball player taken 13th overall. And he's just fearless in these playoffs. And that's a scary thing. If you're a Lakers team and you're going up against a young inexperienced player that has no fear even if that's in the NBA finals, you know, LeBron and AD could be on the opposite side of the court, but if he says that I'm feeling it and I have a step or two on my guy, I'm going to take this shot. That's a scary thing. Now on the opposite side, LeBron James going for title number four, there's no warriors in the way. There's no one to stop him besides a heat team that is probably a year or two away. Realistically, I can't even say realistically because they're there. That's the bad part about it, but it just feels like, this Heat team should be in this spot in a year or two, not this year. And I like LeBron chasing number four, and I like AD getting number one, and I like those two with the way that they're playing together now to take this series in six games. I do think the Heat are going to battle them, and I think the, the zone that they have been playing will give them fits, but I have never been one to count out LeBron on anything. And the fact that he's gotten this Lakers team this far compared to where they were last year, it would be almost a shame if they didn't close this out. Now, I will say this, an X factor for the Lakers that I didn't mention was, you know, Marquise Morris has played a lot like his brother a little bit at some points in this series. So if he's throwing up threes and he's hitting them and he's playing tough, that could really bother the Heat as well. I was talking to my wife last night and we're, and you know, everyone knows who the top two players are on the Lakers. She said, who do you think is their third best player? And I said, I think it's Markeith Morris right now for, for any number of reasons. So, okay. My prediction, as I said earlier, preseason was that I believe the Lakers were going to win the championship. I'm sticking with that. Of course, I believe that it's probably going to go six games because Miami is just gritty and, gutsy and I give them all the respect in the world and I think the difference in this series is that Bam as great as he is he's going to just face so much physicality from from Davis and Howard and maybe even a little bit of JaVale McGee I think I don't expect him to get the kind of numbers against the Lakers that he's gotten against uh, Boston so I'm going to say Lakers in six this will be a clip and save for all of us and we'll uh We'll, uh, we'll, we'll revisit it. Guys, any final thoughts uh, as we now get ready for the finals? Any big picture things you want to point out to everybody, Dave Bull? I think the biggest thing has been the success of the NBA and being able to pull this off. Um, you know, this, this had to be the, the thought that had to go into this, the um, investigation of how to do it safely and everything was, it was tremendous. Uh, I don't know if they've had a positive test in, I don't know how many days now from going all the way back to the beginning. You've had players and staff who've been in this bubble for 80, 80 plus days already. Um, I know I was talking with Doc Rivers about two weeks before the whole thing restarted and Doc and I thought that this might be the toughest NBA title to win because not only of just getting a short period of time to get your team back together and none of the teams had really worked out or guys have been able to play any basketball 
pretty much for months, but also because of all the things going on outside, you know, all the everything with BLM and uh, all the other the election and and all this other stuff that's going on outside that players get uh, you know affected by. They're not able to see their families. So I, I just think it's a credit to the players, the staff, the NBA, that they were able to pull this off and make it meaningful. I mean, I think people enjoyed the games. I think uh, the games were well done. You didn't watch a game and go, oh gosh, it just looks like they're scrimmaging or something. So uh, I just, you know, to end this, I just think it was a great um, endeavor that the NBA was able to really pull off in a very professional and excellent way. Final thought, Aaron? Yeah, and to just build on that, the relationship between the Players Association and the NBA just proves how in sync those two are. Because when you look at the other major sports that essentially tried to do the same thing, football, baseball. Baseball went through months just trying to get a CBA together, just trying to figure out guidelines, or even just to not have something publicly displayed about how angry those two sides were at each other. Up until training camp, the NFL didn't really have anything in place to keep their players safe. The NBA and the NBA PA from the get-go, from the second games were suspended in March, were in constant contact with one another. They were trying to figure out a safe, and feasible way to make these games happen and to do it like Dave said where it was enjoyable to watch where the players could have fun where they could feel safe and it just shows that they are the strongest union and they are the strongest league right now despite what some of the headlines want to say about the NBA's ratings and things like that there's no league that's stronger with its players right now than the NBA all right we're going to leave it right there Aaron Berlin co-host of Catch and Shoot 2.0, Dave Wall, uh, renaissance man of the NBA, has done everything you can do. Um, game one of the finals will be Wednesday night on ABC. Guys, thanks so much for staying up late on a Sunday night uh, to hang out and talk some hoops. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Bruce. That was dope. Once again, thanks to my guests, Dave Wall and Aaron Berlin, for their time, opinions, and wisdom. Normally, Mike Wise thanks me here for producing the show, but that won't be necessary. Nobody thanks themselves, except maybe politicians. The great Tom Phillip edits this show each week, and he's a star. Thank you, Tom. Tom edits all of our Pure Hoops media shows, including Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams, which comes your way each Tuesday. Uh, Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and tonight's guest, Aaron Berlin. They have a new show every Wednesday, and they're expecting Jared Greenberg of NBA TV and Turner Sports to swing by this week. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure release their next show on Thursday. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman are here with Pure Hoops podcast every Friday, and Mike Wise returns from his secret mission with a new show next Monday. Check all of them out, and if you like us, please leave a five-star review. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Listen up, basketball fam. COVID-19 is not done with us yet. We're doing better, but much work lies ahead. Please continue to practice social distancing, wash your hands, and wear your mask. Get some with logos. Make it a fashion statement. It really does make a difference. And please do your part to make our society more inclusive and fair. The election is coming up, and you need to vote. All of us have much more in common than we sometimes realize, so please don't forget that. Mike Wise will be back next week. Until then, I'm Bruce Bernstein. Darlene, take us home. 
The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.